Hey everyone, it's Erica. I've prepared something special for you. I wanna invite you to my one-of-a-kind five-day challenge where I'll be sharing how you, along with thousands of others, can start investing with confidence. You're probably thinking, Erica, I've never invested into the stock market, or I don't have a ton of money lying around. But that's exactly why I created this challenge for you. It doesn't matter if you have lots of money to start with or next to nothing. You'll discover easy and fun ways to start generating passive income, multiply your money, and create a future of financial independence without the guesswork, complexity, or risk when it comes to investing. The challenge is right around the corner, so secure your spot by clicking the link in the show notes. And by the way, this challenge is totally free. So click the link in the show notes or go to erica.com slash invest. That's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest. Again, that's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest to secure your spot. Now back to the episode. It was such a small idea in the beginning. I had been a hairstylist forever, and then I was a stay-at-home mom, and I really loved that. I just wanted something for myself, and I, I wanted to do something, and I just had this, like, itch to to go find something. And then we came in and kind of blew the doors off of hair and blew them away. I like to really be as, like, raw and open as I can be. If I did it, you can do it. And like, to be able to inspire people that, like, you don't have to have followed one certain plan or way or whatever, and you can go do it your own way. I'm a big believer in, like, Everything happens for a reason. And I'd always said early in the first like year, like I bet we're gonna sell this business for 250 million. Anybody can do anything. You know, I think we put a lot of limits on ourselves and what we think we can do, but I don't really think there are any limits. Hi, and welcome to the Erica Taught Me podcast, where we learn something new each week to better position ourselves for success. I'm your host, Erica Kohlberg, and I'm a lawyer and money expert. My guest today is Allie Webb, who went from being a stay-at-home mom to founding a company worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The company is called Drybar, and you may be familiar with it. I know I personally love their dry shampoo. It's the best. So without further ado, I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Allie Webb. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years. And I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between 6 to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28, so go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com invest. Allie, you found a dry bar and have done all of these amazing things with your career. What's one thing that you wish you would have learned earlier in your entrepreneurial journey? You know, I definitely don't look back and think like, oh man, I wish I had done this differently. I think, you know, I kind of, as somebody who didn't go to college and doesn't have like a fancy business degree, I learned so much about business 
you know, on the go in building this business. If I had like more of a formal education, maybe that would have been different, but I don't really believe that. You know, I think that I really learned everything I needed to learn as I went. And I enlisted people, my brother, who's my business partner in Drybar, we both did. We enlisted people to like help us along the way and figure out the things that we didn't know the answers to, you know? So I don't look back and think a lot that I wish I had known. And I I get asked that question a lot and I think it's a good question, but I, I definitely didn't feel, I don't feel this sense of, like, I wish I had known. I'm really grateful, you know, for all of, like, the steps that took me to where mm-hmm. I am. I think there's some, like, technical stuff with, like, you know, figuring out how much equity to give away to somebody. And in retrospect, we probably gave away too much equity in the beginning, but that's because nobody knew it was going to work. And it's, like, it's such a blind decision that, you know, you're making. So I could say that, you know, we, I probably would have held more equity closer, but there was a lot of conversations in those early days, with, especially with my brother, where he's like, do you want to own a big piece of a small pie or a small piece of a big pie? We are going to have to like give equity away if we're going to grow this thing. So when you were starting Drybar in those beginning stages and mapping things out with your brother, what did you envision it would become? Not what it did. I mean, you know, it was such a small idea in the beginning. And really it was a vehicle to get me to like have a livelihood and something that I could do. And, you know, I had been a hairstylist forever and then I was a stay-at-home mom and I really loved that. And then I, you know, just started to get like antsy to do something for myself. And we were mapping this out. My brother was running a real estate marketing company. My, you know, ex-husband at the time was a creative director at an advertising agency. I just wanted something for myself and I, I wanted to do something. And I just had this like itch to, to go find something. And, and I started a mobile blowout business, which would, you know, turn into dry bar. But it was like, you know, we'll open this one little shop. It'll be a nice, like, take a little bit of money. It, hopefully it does well. And then, you know, that'll be my livelihood. And my brother was willing to put in the money because he wanted to help his little sister. It was, you know, he put in 250000 explained sweat equity to me, which I didn't know, never heard that mm-hmm. word before. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, I don't have to put in any money and I get 50% of the business. But, you know, it was money that he didn't really like expect to get back. You know, we just thought this would be my one little store. And he was helping me like turn my mobile business into a brick and mortar. And, and that was it. You know, and I'd pick up my kids from preschool and, and that would be my life. And I was cool with that. Like, I loved that idea. I love, I always loved the environment in hair salons. Like stylists are so fun. And I loved being around other women. And I was just like really content to have one store. And that's really what we thought. I mean, we, I think we kind of knew in the back of our minds that like, maybe this takes off and we can open more, I guess. But I mean, it really was such a small idea in the beginning. There was no plans of like world domination. When was it clear to you that, wow, this is a an idea that really has gravity to it. I mean, very, very early on, right before we opened, do you remember Daily Candy? I probably talked about it on, you might've heard about it when I was on How I Built This, I talked about it, but Daily Candy was this, it's funny you haven't heard of it, I think because you're probably young, too young. I wonder if I missed it. So Daily Candy used to be, it was like, I mean, I mean, we opened Dry Bar 12 years ago, so I feel like you know, it was like, it was probably starting to fade out a couple of years after that. But it was this, and this was like way before, it's like we had Blackberries and like, we were also getting used to the internet. And it was this like email that would go out and it would tell you the new hot, 
you know, restaurant or club or store or whatever. And if you made it on Daily Candy, it was like the Oprah effect. It would just like your business would explode because you'd get so much exposure because women everywhere would get this list. And Daily Candy ran a piece on Dry Bar before we opened the first one in Brentwood. And my brother and I were like at a restaurant eating lunch right down the street from the shop because we would go and check on all the progress. And our Blackberries started going crazy and appointments were, you know, all these appointments were trickling in. Yeah. And, well, not trickling, like flooding. And we were like, there must be a glitch. Like, what happened? And Daily Candy had run this thing. And he said, like, something very pithy, like hot air blowing into L.A. And, you know, women just started booking and booking. And it just, you know, it was crazy. So that was like a week before we opened. And on the day that we opened... It was like a full house. I didn't have enough stylists. We had eight chairs in that first Brentwood store. And I think I only had six stylists scheduled. Like I just didn't understand the business at that point or how I was going to run it. And I kind of think I I didn't hire a manager. I think I thought I was just going to manage the store, which seemed doable and reasonable. But I ended up being in the first chair doing blowout after (laughs) blowout after blowout. And I was always at the first one so I could manage too, like the front desk and make sure people were being treated well and all of that. And it was just like, we are onto something. And, you know, very quickly, like went into this mode of like, we have to hire more stylists. Like, I think I need a manager. And I think it was like that first day because it was so busy. And, you know, it's just like the atmosphere in Dry Bar. It's loud and fun and music and the movie and the whole thing. And I, I remember like, calling my brother and Cam, my ex-husband, and like, we were all crying because we were like, oh my God, we just knew, we knew like this had hit a chord with women and, and we were, we were onto something and it would, would prove to be a lot of work and a lot of build and not every store opened up quite like that. But we, we knew like very early on that we had kind of captured lightning in a bottle. Wow. And of that $250,000 initial investment, how much did it take to build that first Brentwood store? Well, more than 250,000. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy because we had no idea. And what we wanted, it's funny because my parents who are entrepreneurs, they had these little old lady clothing stores, like the Schmatas and the thing and like retirement communities in South Florida. And they, they spent like nothing on their build out. It was like slats on the wall, hang your eggs, like yeah. very, very cheap. Michael and I had this vision. I wanted the shops to be like very pristine and clean and like your boudoir, it's like, you know, shabby chic meets like very modern, which was like, you know, thank God we had such a great architect because I gave so many directions, but we wanted this like very high end feel, but at an affordable price. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was kind of the vision that we conjured up. And between all the millwork that we ended up you know, building out to, for the shelves. And also part of the vision was to have it look like a bar, but like a plan words. And and then behind the bar was like, just like at a bar, instead of drinks and alcohol bottles, there'd be hair products. Yeah. And so that all was like, you know, now I know way more about construction than I ever wanted to, but it's, it's very expensive to have all that stuff custom built. So the build out was really expensive, like HVAC, which also something... I don't care about, but had to imagine we're pumping heat into a space. Yeah. So trying to keep it air conditioned and cool, it's like you're kind of going against the grain. And anyway, so there's so many different things, but it, it ended up costing more than we had. And my brother didn't really want to put in more. And we took on some early investors before we even opened that first store because I was blogging about 
the store and what we were doing, we knew we needed to raise more money. And we had a few angels and people who had seen what we were doing and, and helped us like kind of get over the finish line. I, I think, don't quote me on this, but I feel like it got closer to like 400,000. And, mm-hmm. and I remember the, the first handful of stores were in that range. Towards the end, they were more like a million to build out for a bunch of different reasons and many years later. But yeah, they're, they're not cheap. My parents like, almost fell over when they heard we were spending. They're like, you're spending how much on this? And and you're only charging $35 for a blowout. Like how in the world did you make that work? And, you know, for us, it was, you know, volume. If we could do enough blowouts in a day, this would work, which if you do the math on that, you know, I was imagining, I mean, as not like a math person, like you, I was like, if we do, you know, if we can do like eight blowouts an hour and we're open, you know, 10 hours, like maybe this math works. And I think like we were hoping to do like between 40 and 50 blowouts a day was like where we thought we could like have a good business. And then we were more doing like between 70 and 90 a day. So we were, it was just crazy. And, you know, we first opened, we opened at 9am and we would close at like seven. And then we were like, we were like, you have to open earlier than nine. And so we started opening at eight and then we started opening at seven because people wanted to come in before. Before work. Yeah. So it was, there was so much learning, you know, as we grew it, but it was expensive. <laughs> I would have never guessed. I often do go into stores. Like I'll go into a pizza store and calculate, okay, how many customers do they need to have? How much do I think they're making it per year? Yeah. It's <laughs> how fascinating. How pizza yeah. ingredients cost? Yeah. And then, you know, when, when product entered, that changed everything too, you know, because a lot of people would buy then product and that helped, you know. So, so when did product enter? Probably not until gosh, I want to say like three and a half years into it. Mm. I wanted to do product sooner, but, you know, I mean, we didn't have the bandwidth and we we didn't have the money to do it. it. You know, it wasn't until Castanea, our first private equity partner came in and we had earmarked some of that money to build product, which I felt very strongly about that we needed. And more from like almost an aesthetic perspective because we were using you know, a couple different product lines and it was kind of messy. And yeah. I always felt very strongly about having every stylist use the same blow dryer, the same brushes, so that there was that consistency in the experience that you could sit in any stylist chair and you'd have pretty much the same experience. And of course, every stylist had their own kind of unique flair to what they did, but that it was, the, the consistency was there. And then the products were, were, you know, a complete departure from that. And I, so I really wanted to do our own product line and also products, that we were using from other lines were often too heavy. They didn't work well together. And, you know, and I always felt like I needed to create stuff that would not be too heavy on the hair so that women would get a blowout and they can make it last for five days because mm-hmm. that was really what women wanted versus a lot of the products that were too heavy. So I was very keen on getting a product line off the ground. It was just, you know, that would, you know, prove to be a huge process that I, you know, learned as I went. Were you involved in deciding these are the types of products we want? Oh, yeah. It was totally my baby. I basically took I mean, the product. It was fun to develop line. I mean, we hired this really cool French consultant that had worked for L'Oreal for years, and she really understood, which I didn't, you know, is like, you know, how products react, how products react in different bottles, and, and then the packaging, they're, they're like the box they get shipped mm. in, like ridiculous stuff. And there's just, there's so much like, like scientifically that goes into making a product. I had such a vast experience with so many different product lines because I'd been in this business for so long. So I would take a product from this line, a product from this line and this line and be like, I like this product because it does this, 
but I don't like it because it does this, this, and this. And then I like this because it does this. And so I would, you know, bring all of these to a lab, which is really how, at least I believe products get made. It's like, I wanted to do all of these things and there's not one product that does all these things. And so you work with very closely with the lab, which I did. And then you get a product to the point where you like it. And then you start introducing fragrance. And then oftentimes a fragrance you like by itself, you put it with whatever the goop is. And then it, the yeah. smell is like, doesn't work. They don't work together. And so it's so much back and forth and so much trial and error, but I loved that. You know I mean? That mm-hmm. became another big thing that I was doing, but I also had this like amazing lab of stylists. Like we had all these stylists who would, you know, test products alongside me. So, you know, if I liked something enough, then I'd send it into the stores without me there so that they would tell me the truth <laughs> and say like, tell me what you think and try it on clients when you think it's, you know, makes sense. And, and so we'd get great feedback, you know, and, and all, they were doing hair more than I was. So they would provide really amazing feedback. And so that really helped inform the line. And then Cam, my ex-husband, he was responsible for like the bottles and what went on the outside. Of course, I, you know, collaborated with him on that, but that was like really his lane. How easy was it because you already had this established brand to get into the major stores like Sephora and Ulta? Well, there was certainly the credibility that we had from Drybar that like opened a lot of doors. And one of um, the partners in Castanet, our, our private equity group, was a woman named Janet Gerwich, and she founded Laura Mercier Cosmetics, and she had a lot of experience building, a, you know, brands. And she was friends with the CEO of Sephora, and you know, got us in the door for a meeting with Sephora. But there was so much brand love out there for what we were doing. And Sephora was an early partner of ours, and we really went to them with a, like a pretty big repertoire of products and designs. And they gave us a lot of really great direction because they, they knew this world so much better than we did. You can't really say that, or people don't like seem to resonate with this or that. And, and so they really, I mean, we had these like in the kitchen meetings, we would call them where we would kind of like, they kind of say, you know, give us all this feedback on what they think would work and what wouldn't. And, you know, and and I pushed back on certain things that I felt really strongly about, but Mm -hmm. we certainly took so much of their advice to heart and like, you know, developed this line and tested it in 75 Sephora doors and to see if it would work. And it did. And, and it took off and it was so exciting. And then all of a sudden we were in like two businesses, you know, running the stores and running the product line. So it was, it was really exciting. And Sephora, as you probably know it today, I mean, Sephora is highly saturated, but at that time, hair was a much smaller category Mm -hmm. for them. I believe when we went, it was like Bumble and Bumble, Living Proof. Moroccan oil, maybe. They didn't even have Moroccan oil yet. It was a very small assortment. And then we came in and kind of blew the doors off of hair and blew them away. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) You know, with, with how you know, while the product was doing it. And and I really think the reason for that was because of the credibility we had established with the handful of stores that we had at the time. I think it was like maybe 25 locations at that point. Sephora headquarters are in San Francisco and, you know, we had penetrated California and New York and we had so much press and so much like, Mm -hmm. you know, notoriety that they were really happy to partner with us. And, And what we found was that women who, you know, didn't have access to a dry bar location 
wanted to buy our blow dryer because they, you know, they felt like they were buying a piece of the brand. This was all these products we were selling were actually what we were using in the stores. So you could buy it and, you know, get your own little dry bar experience at home was kind of how we thought about it. And so it, you know, it really worked. And then I went on QVC and we sold on QVC for, for a while and a really great business there is the same thing. It's like, you don't have access to a dry bar location, but here are the products to get a great blowout at home. What do you think you did right to grow this community and almost a cult following? Because a lot of brands are out there. They're faceless brands. People like the products, but I don't feel like there's this connection. cult following and connection that yeah. Drybar has. It was really just our instinct. You know, I, I felt, we all felt collectively like this was my idea and this was my baby, although I did not execute it alone. And I, I feel really strongly about always saying that like, I did not do this by myself. I had a lot of help and, you know, I knew hair and I knew, you know, a lot about this business, but I also needed a lot of help. But with that said, we also knew that like, this was my idea. This was my baby. I'm, a, you know, an actual hairstylist. I've been doing hair forever and, and I'm a mom. And it was like a great story to tell, yeah. you know? And I found that women were so supportive and I, you know, obviously I met so many women and I, I mean, I built such a strong community in LA because I was always at the store and I was always talking, you know, to women. And, you know, part of me talking to women was always like making sure they were happy, getting feedback. Like I was very connected to the women that were coming in the stores. And then I would go to all the openings, you know, mm -hmm. I went to the first 50 openings, which was a lot of traveling and it was kind of a crazy time. But I think that I personally formed a connection with so many women in that time to the point where like, I would tell people my story and then by the, after like talking to them for 10 minutes, they, they like, can I give you a hug? I'm so proud of you. Like oh. so much like that. And, and I think that, you know, part of it was that, you know, I was a little bit of this like underdog, you know, came out of nowhere, don't have like a pedigree and just kind of like built this thing from scratch and had a lot of heart. And that was a piece of it, you know, and like all the emails came from me and we were building this very connected story where women felt like, not only do they love this service and, and going to dry bar, they loved like you and your story, believing in a woman yeah. and like supporting a woman. And those relationships have are relationships that I, you know, I still have today. And I've, you know, met so many people and a dry bar has opened so many doors for me and people like, that like having access to a founder, which of course would, would prove to be true with like, you know, Drybar was probably one of the first, but there are so many brands that have since started that you feel like you kind of know the person who started it and you have more access. And like, I personally DM a lot of people who reach out to me on Instagram, you know, and, and so many other founders now do. But when you think about, at least when, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, you know, companies and brands, like you had no idea who was running them or what mm -hmm. was happening. They were just this like faceless brand. And so it happened very organically putting me out front. And, you know, I remember those early conversations of like, that I was like the face of the brand and it was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like we should, <laughs> that right. It really resonated with women. So. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. Even when I think about going to the Sephora store the last five to 10 years, or let's say the last five years, how much has changed? Because it was a lot of these faceless brands. But now when I go in, I feel like more than 50%, there's a face attached. There's yeah. Rihanna or there's yeah. Huda or all yeah. these entrepreneurs. It's amazing. Yeah. I, mean, I think that there's been this really beautiful shift in that, in that there's, you know, so many female founded brands that are, you know, emerging and, and you just, you feel like you can relate to them and, and it, they're approachable. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. 
But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. Yeah. What do you think of the, I know some people in the space say that all of these influencers are going after the cash grab now trying to get beauty products. <laughs> like starting their own lines? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it. For example, Jennifer Anderson was attached to Living Proof for a while in some way, but now she started her own product line. And I feel like, you know, for me as a consumer, I'm very interested in her own product line. Her putting her name on a product line felt, you know, less interesting to mm. me, you know? It's funny, I have, one of my favorite lipsticks is by Rare Beauty, which I didn't even know was Selena Gomez's yeah. company. And then I was like, oh, this is Selena Gomez. But like, good for her. Like she started a really great, you know, brand. And there's so many like that, that I think are great. And, and I, and I get it, you know, it's like, we're, we're living in a very like entrepreneurial world. And if you have a platform and you can start something really great, for sure, go do it. You know, I think as somebody who doesn't have that kind of fame and notoriety, it's kind of like, oh, it looks at least on the outside, like it's so easy because you are this big famous person. So of course, when, you know, Rihanna does a of anything, everyone's going to tune in. So, you know, but I think like good for them for taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I would too. What is your life like? Do you get recognized every day on the streets? No. I mean, sometimes, but not like, I can like walk down the street with no problem. But, you know, I mean, I definitely get people stopping me often in random places and random times, like after Shark Tank airs, I usually will get like some people and, you know, and certainly people have, you know, come up to me probably then than normal people. Well, not normal, but like, you know, I think- <laughs> Without some kind of presence online. Yeah, or... yeah. But no, not not like anything crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always nice when people do. And it's usually like a very like, you inspired me or I'm such a big fan of dry bar and you made me want to go do my own thing. It's kind of, you know, like that, which is, which is really flattering. Yeah. I think what you were saying earlier is so true though. People want to root for the underdog. I think because people want to see the potential that they could one day reach there. And the closer they feel to you in the same journey, the more they feel like they could achieve that. Yeah. And, you know, in this kind of like second half of my life, I, you know, I, I speak at a lot of things and I really enjoy it because, you know, I, I like to really be as like raw and open as I can be. And there is an attainableness about me and my story that to your point, I think people, it's like, 
kind of like if I did it, you can do it. And like to be able to inspire people that yeah. like you don't have to have, you know, followed one certain plan or way or whatever, and you can go do it your own way is something I'm, I'm really proud of. You mentioned your parents were entrepreneurs. So what businesses were they in? So they had like these little old lady clothing stores in South Florida. It was like the Schmata business where, you know, the moo's that your grandmother wears. Yeah. They were catering to like a retired woman and he was really pretty genius because my father realized who had been in this business and his family was in the business that the only place for like, it was called Missy Sportswear, like, you know, whatever the grandma age is, like seventies and whatever. The only place they could shop was at the mall and like, they'd have to like get to the mall and the mall was big and overwhelming, but there was always these shopping centers that they would take like the trolley over and, and they would have, you know, the nail salon and the hair salon and the Chinese store and the grocery store and dry cleaning and the pharmacy and they would do all their things in this one shopping center, but there was no shopping for them. And my dad realized, you know, it's like the apples don't fall far from the tree. I mean, there was like, what? why isn't there some, a place for women to go to like shop for clothes? Why do they have to go to the mall, you know, which was further in a pain. And so they opened these stores. It was called Flips, which was my dad's nickname. My dad's name is Phil. And my mom, who was like working, doing something else, like joined my dad to open these stores. And I mean, they killed it. They were like, you know, they, I think I think the most they opened was like seven in this Boca Del Rey, Boynton Beach area of South yeah. Florida. They were great. And my brother and I worked in those stores. My brother and I were like really grew up in those stores and learned so much that I didn't know I was learning until like years later when I would apply these things and they were in the back of my mind. And my dad... My dad was so brilliant. Like he would, he would set up, and these were not like fancy stores by any means, but he would set up like chairs in the front of the store. And then the women would go in and shop and my dad would bring them bagels and coffee and the newspaper. And like, they were like, my dad was like the mayor of these shopping centers. It was very cute. And they, the, the women loved my dad and, and the men loved him too, because he would like make it really comfortable. And he obviously knew that if the men were comfortable and, and they would chill for a while, they'd let their wives Shop, shop longer, we'd make more money. Yeah. You know, so it was all very brilliant. And and I watched like my mom who would run the stores, she, you know, she, how she bent over backwards for these women. And they were also like, I mean, you know, sometimes older women can be a little cranky. And, you know, I remember watching a lot of these women like be not very like kind to my mom. And as a kid, you just like, you're learning about the world. And I was like, why these women are so mean to my mom. And yet my mom is so nice to them. I'm like, what? You know? And as a kid, it's like, just like, it doesn't make sense. And I would talk to my mom about it. And she would, you know, she would say like, this is our business and they're supporting us and they're paying our bills. So, you know, it's our job. It's a service job and it's our job to make them feel really good and to take care of them and kill them with kindness and yeah. like not take it personally. And I remember watching my mom in awe and being like, how does, how does she do that? You know, it's like, she just, she really knew how to, you know, make women feel special and she just didn't like take things personally. So it was a great lesson, all of that, you know, watching my parents operate this business. And I think so much of it informed, you know, who me and my brother would ultimately become. What was the relationship like with your brother when he started working together? Because at that time he was employed full time at Yahoo, I believe. Yeah, he was at well, he was at Yahoo, and then right when we opened Drybar, he was he had his own real estate marketing company. But before that, we worked together for Nicole Miller, who's a designer. And ten whatever twenty years ago, she was a really big designer in New York City. And my brother was working at her corporate office at the showroom, and I was working at the Soho store. 
this is when we both lived in New York together. And we, you know, as like little budding entrepreneurs, we decided to move back to South Florida, which is, we knew that area and open up Nicole Miller boutiques. And we opened one in Meisner Park in Boca Raton and then in, in Miami and South Beach. And so basically I was like running these stores and doing the drive, which was horrendous. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, so basically I'm like 21 years old, like running retail stores, which, you know, is, is, is a great job and opportunity, but like, it wasn't my passion. And I think we both thought because our parents and like, it, it, it seemed to make sense. I wanted to be in fashion, but we were fighting like crazy, like cats and dogs. I mean, I know it was because it wasn't like what we both loved, you know, it was like, it just wasn't our thing. And, and I remember like realizing I needed to go to my brother and say, I don't think I can do this anymore because it was really ruining our relationship. And we had always been close our whole lives. And my, you know, my parents were watching this unfold and they were like, you guys, like we were just fighting all the time. It was awful. And, and I think that that whole experience, like pushed me to like, now what, you know, I'm like 21. I don't know what I want to do with my life. The only thing I really love is hair. So I went to my brother so scared that he was going to like be so mad at me. But I was like, Mike, I just, I don't think I want to do this. I'm not happy. And I I think I really want to go to beauty school. He was like, I, I get it. And I think that's a great idea. You love hair, you love people. Like I think, and I think you'd be really good at it. And I, you know, and I had this like vision of moving to New York and doing editorial and fashion shows. And, and he really saw that. And my, my parents were like less enthused about the whole idea, (laughs) but Michael was the first person I told about it, really believed in it. And I felt like kind of left, left me off the hook and we sold those stores and I went to beauty school. And then how many years later was it that dry bar started? So, you know, so then we went, kind of went our separate ways. He did, I think that's when he went, that's probably around the time he went to work at Yahoo. And I went to beauty school and I, you know, would, would then go and work in many salons in Florida where I went to beauty school. And then I moved back to New York city and worked for John Sahag, who was a really famous hairstylist in his time. And so, I mean, it was a lot of years later. I mean, I think the, the Nicole Miller stuff was when I was in my early twenties and then, you know, I got married, had kids, moved to LA. At that time, Michael had moved to LA too. And I think I was 35 when we started Dry Bar. So like, you know, almost 15 years later, you know, there was a lot of trauma from that Nicole Miller days. We were like screaming (laughs) at each other in in the break room. And when we decided to go back into business together, my parents were like, really? You know? sure? Yeah. But what was so different and unique about it the second time around was that First of all, we were older and more mature, which is huge. But also I had, you know, now gained 15 years of experience doing hair and whatever had happened with us in the past, there was a new level of respect that my brother certainly had knowing that I knew this industry way better than he did. But, you know, he was like a business guy and his instincts were so good when it came to business that together it could be a really great partnership. And we had some tough, like, early conversations about like what it can't be. And I told my brother, like he couldn't talk to me that way and he couldn't act this way and blah, blah, blah. And he told me the things that I can't even remember, but he told me things that were bothersome to him. And we just, we were really aligned and we never, I mean, throughout the whole dry bar experience, we never fought really. I mean, I can think of like maybe two fights that we had the entire time. Do you remember what they were over? Uh Uh-huh. I knew (laughs) you were going to ask that. Um, (laughs) Well, I remember it really well because we had our investors at the office and Michael and I were fighting and it was so stupid. I can't even believe we fought about it. So we were opening in Vegas and he's probably going to kill me for telling this. (laughs) We were opening in Vegas and it it was a completely different 
thing because we were going to have an actual bar. Most of dry bars, like, you know, you get a glass of champagne or whatever, but it's like, you want a full bar. But we were going to, at the, you know, at the Cosmo and some and the uh, Vegas shops, it was obviously, we were going to do that. So we, you know, at that point we had so many people working for us. We had, you know, who the president of retail who had come to me and said, in terms of like, we were, we were creating drinks, like go with like the whole theme and, and whatever. And the woman who was in charge at that time came to me and said, Hey, what do you think about red wine? I was like, no, no, we definitely shouldn't have red wine. And I was like, that was it. And this was like weeks you know, ago. And then my, my brother like got wind of that and was like, no, of course we should have red wine. It's a full bar. And I was like, and so this bubbled up and I was like, no, Mike, like who cares that it's a full bar? We can do whatever the fuck we want. We don't have to, I mean, who, where is it written that you have to have red wine in a bar, you know, and it's dry bar. It's not a bar bar, you know? And I guess it was like one of the only times I can remember us like, we must've been having something else must've been going on because he was like, no, we're going to have red wine. And I was like, no, we're not. And we had never really had a time where it was like, you know, who has more seniority, even though he was the CEO and I, I technically wasn't, I didn't want to be, we were always like very, very equal. Every, you know, our equity was always equal. Everything was equal. And it was like, it, turned into this power struggle. And my brother's like, you know, was basically like trying to pull like some sort of rank. And I was like, you can't even do that, <laughs> you know? And we started like screaming and our investors were in like the conference room and our CEO at the time, John came in and he's like, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> you know, of all of the days that you can have a big fight like this because we were screaming at each other. Over so here's the good ending to that story. We did end up putting red wine. I did lose that battle and we ended up removing it because it didn't even sell that well. I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it. I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free and you know I don't gatekeep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free Built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent. And there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com slash built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. I know a lot of typical entrepreneurial devices don't go into business with your family. You obviously went into business with your brother as well as your husband at the time. Yeah. If you were to do it again, would you still do the same thing? Yeah. I mean, even though my ex-husband and I ended up getting divorced, you know, I mean, Dry Bar like became our baby. We had kids very early on in our marriage and then we had Dry Bar. It's pretty rare to have 
you know, these three people that we had between me, my brother and Cam, which Cam was like, you know, a creative genius. My brother really understood business so well. And I knew hair. It was just so magical. And talk about the stars aligning for all of us to be able to like figure this out without paying ourselves and just doing it for like, hopefully it'll pay off one day, you know? So no, I mean, I don't, I don't think I would have done it any differently. I mean, I think that that is a kind of a separate conversation in terms of like, how we neglected our marriage and, you know, we put everything into the kids and dry bar and like, you know. I need to dig into this though, because I was telling you before we started recording, my husband and I, we launched our first company last year at the end of last year. And before that he was working full time. I was doing my own thing full time. And so we would only really see each other from 7 PM onwards once he got home from work. Right. And we had so much to talk about that was so not nice. about the same business yeah. because we all had different, we each had our different days. Right. And now I feel like it's really hard to separate between our marriage life and our work life together. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Well, and you know, I think there's, um, are you familiar with Esther Perel? I'm not. You definitely go check out her stuff, read okay. some of her books. A lot of a lot of what she talks about is that it's so important to your point, which sounds like you understand it intuitively, to have separate things to talk about and to, you know, to go away from. And I think it's her who talks a lot about how when you are working together, you're together a lot, how you have to create space within the marriage and go do other things, whatever they are, so that you can come back to each other and have things to talk about that it's like crucial for the success of a marriage, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think for me and Cam, even though like we got divorced and we're not, certainly not like the example here necessarily, but, you know, I, I think it's probably more relevant to talk about it with my current husband. I just got remarried and, you know, we, we actually do a lot of things together, but we don't work, you know, probably together as closely as you guys do. But I always find that like, even if we're working on a project together, if we take space from each other and just like, you just make it, you work on a different project, he works on a different project and you can create space to come back together. Mm -hmm. It makes a big difference. And I think just like having the awareness and thinking about that versus like always being together, you know, I think the health, a healthy relationship needs to like breathe and needs to have some sort of space. So figuring out a way to create that I think is, is really healthy and important. It's so tough because I think we both love the business. We both yeah. love what we do. And that's what consumes our minds and therefore yeah. our conversations. But even if you split out what you're working on and what he's working on mm -hmm. and like can like have some actual space, like if you have a separate office and he has a separate office so then you can come back together. I'll you send know? him to WeWork. Yeah. <laughs> Get him out of the house. <laughs> he's right here looking at me. <laughs> When you look back at the years you spent with at Drybar building it, what was your favorite time? Definitely the early years, probably from like year one to year like four was my very favorite time because, you know, we were still like treadmill of trying to figure out all the things and how to make it work. And I love the growth phase of a company. And so, you know, building the company and I have particularly fond memories of, working, we had in our uh, WeHo store, which is our third location, we had this beautiful location that had like tall ceilings and we had built like an office kind of like perched above the shop that had a big window so I could see down. And that was like where I worked out of. And 
I loved it. I mean, it was so fun. And I loved being in the store every day. We had such fun. I mean, that's part of what I always loved about this industry was the stylists, you know, are so fun. And I really knew all the stylists at that point because we were still small enough where I could, I would hop around between Brentwood and Studio City and, and WeHo. And so I was like definitely the most connected to the business then. And it was my baby that I was like growing and nurturing and it was just so fun. I mean, I worked like a dog. I worked yeah. so much, but I loved the work and, you know, it was just fun and we laughed a lot and, and so many cool opportunities were opening up and the business was growing and, you know, my life was like crazy and I was doing all this cool stuff and yeah, it was, it was really fun. And, and I think it just like, it slowly started to change when we brought in, which was needed. You know, we brought in a professional CEO, the infrastructure of the company grew so much, which it needed to, to sustain this like mass, what was becoming this massive brand. But you know, it definitely changed where I like went from working in an office in the store to working at an office in like an office building, which was like cool too, but like, it's not exactly the same. And, yeah. and I think I missed that. And so, yeah, I think it was those early years. When did you get the taste of success with money? I mean, was money hitting your bank account or was just through equity? I mean, not not for a long time. <laughs> I mean, we didn't pay ourselves much for forever. I mean, I think, I think my salary was like, I don't know, it was low. I didn't even like think about it or care about it. It wasn't until private equity came and infused the business with, I said 25 million, but I think it might have been 27 million. Um, that we started to take like real salaries, which by the way, all these other people that we had hired were taking higher salaries. And I was like, why are they getting paid so much money? Why, you know, but I, you know, I owned so much of the business and I, you know, I understood that like, this was the long game of like, we'll eventually sell this and my equity will be worth a lot. But yeah, so I would say it was like, I mean, Castanea came in around year two or three and in my salary started to grow over time. And I remember being like, couldn't believe that like, what I was getting paid. Um, but you know, the business was, was really thriving and my brother was like very generous and always like a very good big brother. And I remember the, the irony of this is interesting. We were in Ikea and we were like shopping cause you know, Ikea's Ikea. And I came out of the store and my brother was like standing outside in, with a brand new Mercedes that he had like bought me for as like, a, you know, it was like a, when I'd never had, you know, a oh. car like that. And I was, and my husband at the time, you know, knew about it. And I was just like, are you, are you kidding? You know? And it was like probably one of the first big like things that I had that was like, you know, a kind of a marker of our success. So, so yeah, I remember that moment quite well. What was the first big thing you bought for yourself? I, th I think it actually was my brother too, who bought me my first like designer bag. It was a Celine bag. I don't remember one big thing other than like, I did start like buying nicer bags and nicer shoes, but then I would still go shop at like Forever 21 and Zara. <laughs> um, I'm a big high-low, you know? But with the first like big purchase we made was we bought a house and that was like a big deal. And we bought this this beautiful house with a big yard and we put in a pool and you know, we burned through a lot of money doing that, but it was like a, you know, it was a big deal. I mean, we, up until then, like we couldn't buy a house, you know, we just living in LA, it was like impossible. And so this wasn't LA that that was, we had moved to Orange County, which is a whole other story, but my brother was living there. So we ended up opening shop there and we bought a house in Orange County. And it was like, it was so cool. Cause we had always like been in apartments until then. Yeah. How did you think about time management in those early years? Where was your time being allocated? And 
Well, I not well. You know, I mean, I was burning the candle at both ends and I and you know, part of it was like a love for what I was doing. We used to talk about this a lot me and my brother like what was my highest and best use and you know, it was like very forward facing in terms of like press. And I was doing tons of like press and interviews. I was doing QVC. So I was flying to like Philadelphia and New York a lot. I was, you know, developing the product. I was, you know, I was always in and out of the stores and making sure that like customer service was right. I was like organizing training for all the stylists. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot back then. I mean, I, I hadn't had my hands in like those buckets. Whereas like, you know, things I wasn't doing was like, writing manuals for operations or anything in finance or, you know, any of that stuff was like not my thing. So, you know, it was like really stuff that was like customer focused, stylist focused, you know, public focused. Those were kind of the big buckets of what I did. And, yeah. And I loved it. So in 2020, you ended up selling the products business of Drybar for $255 million. What was that day that the paperwork was signed? What did that feel like to you? It felt so surreal. And I remember we were like, we were in our conference room of our office and, you know, somebody brought champagne. I remember we couldn't open the champagne, of course, but it was just one of those moments that was like, I'm a big believer in like everything happens for a reason and like manifesting. Like I believe in all that kind of woo woo stuff. And I had always said, and my brother still brings this up. Like I had always said, I thought we were going to like early in the first like year, like I bet we're going to sell this business for 250 million. That was my number. We sold for 255 million, but I always thought that's just, that was just the number that was in my head. So it was also kind of eerie that that's what we sold it for. It was amazing, but also like, wow, we've sold the business, you know, or we've sold the product business. I built it. I promoted it. You know, it was my baby. And there was a little bit of like a, like, oh, like I don't really get to do this anymore feeling, you know, and that was right around the time. I mean, that, I guess, I think I got separated in, I want, I think it was 2019. So, so that was February and it was September that we, I separated from my ex-husband and that was a really rough period from mm. September to February. And so there was a lot, you know, happening for me. And I had, because of the divorce and just because of like how things were set up structurally and we had an office in Studio City and then there was an office in Orange County and Cam and I shared an office in Studio City. So I stopped going to that office because it was like too uncomfortable. And so, you know, things were in a bit of a spiral for me anyways. So it was just like, an, it was a weird time to like kind of cut that too, um, you know, and, and would be the beginning of like a little bit of an identity crisis for me because it's like, oh, like I don't do this anymore. And I think everyone has different stories about what it's like when you sell a product company. And I have friends who've sold product companies and, and like still work with the brand and whatever. It, it wasn't the case with us. You know, they didn't really see much value, I guess, in keeping me on, which was a pretty like rough blow to get to is like, I built this brand and, and I'm have nothing to do with it now. You know, I, I don't have anything to do with any of the product anymore, which Did was, you like, know that when you were selling that they weren't going to keep you, you know, on? Not really. It was a kind of a vague thing. And, and because of everything that was going on, I was a little detached, which, you know, is on me because of the divorce. And because I was like, I had kind of gone into a depression and I was really struggling emotionally. 
So I wasn't nearly as like involved as I, as I had once been, but then for that to happen and then to just be like not involved at all was like, you know, kind of a tough blow. Yeah. However, we just made $255 million. So it was also like, well, you know, it is what it is. So my experience of selling it was a little bittersweet. Also like just kind of the natural progression of things really. How do you deal as an ultra successful entrepreneur, like how have you dealt with mental health and trying to figure out how to balance? I don't know how to ask this because I've never asked someone, but I, I struggle with it myself. Yeah. I struggle with anxiety and depression. And yeah. how do you deal with that? I mean, it's interesting because I never dealt with any of that before. And I really didn't understand it until like it like hit me in the face. And, you know, with, with my divorce, I, I really like, the divorce was the right thing to do. And I, and I felt like very good about that decision. But, you know, what they then found was like, there was a pretty massive hole in my life of where this person that I had spent 17 years with, now it was just this kind of nothingness and raising kids together and having now to do that on my own. And just the overwhelm, I think, hit me really hard. I can't talk about it in terms of like, it was so new to me. And I was just like, what do you do? You know, I mean, I, I turned to like very much an open book to like anybody I saw. I was like, can you help me? Like I was seeking out help in any way I could. And I started to learn how to do transcendental meditation then. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's pretty powerful. It's a meditation where you, you, you have to go kind of get trained through it and it's, which is pretty minimal, but it's 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night and you get a mantra. And it really helped take me out of that like fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when, and I had had a handful of people tell me like how much it helped like calm their nervous system because I was just so very anxiety ridden. Like I could feel it in my body. And I was just like constantly, I lost so much weight. I couldn't eat. I was just like a mess. And transcendental meditation was probably like the first thing that I found that was really helpful and like calming me down, you know? And, and, and since then I've learned to do things that are like good for my soul. Like I take a nap a lot in the middle of the day now, which of course, like I never did that, but like I, that reset. And I usually like my husband and I joke that it's like a medi nap because I'll meditate and I usually fall asleep because that's the thing about transcendental is like you go very, very deep and mm -hmm. you feel like you're sleeping but you weren't really sleeping. It's really trippy. I mean, you should try it. It's okay, amazing. I'll try it. <laughs> um, and, and you can get, I think you can do like online training for, I went to the David Finch like place here in LA. That's amazing. And I learned to like take better care of myself. You know, I mean, I, I do like a lot of things now. Like um, I have an infrared sauna, which was like, you know, you were asking like a big purchase. Like that was a pretty big deal. We, I bought it probably like five years ago and I've moved it from like three houses and it's a big you know, infrared sauna, it fits two people and you go in and you sweat and there's infrared light. And I really think, and then I'll do like a cold bath after and like the hot cold therapy, I think, mm -hmm. you know, really helps. And then therapy, just traditional therapy is, is really important. And I see like a Reiki here, like I do all the things and I get massages a lot, you know, well, I'll tell you about squeeze in a second, but you know, I, I think that I, I neglected myself you know, I mean, I feel like self-care is this word that gets thrown around all the time now, but I think I was very neglectful for like the things that I needed. And I thought like getting a manicure and getting a blowout was like, check that box, you know? <laughs> and, and what I realized when I needed like some quiet time and I needed space and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not like busy the way I was back then, even though I'm still really busy, I have more control over 
what I'm doing and when I'm doing it now, but learning to take that time and space for myself and like just saying no to something or pushing something is really powerful and not something that I had done previously. Now that it's been a few years since you sold the business and since the divorce, looking back at it, are you still upset by by how it all went down? It all went down. No, no. I'm upset for you. Yeah. This is my first time hearing this. Well, I mean, I'm not upset. You know, I'm 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 really grateful. You know, I'm really grateful. I mean, you know, Drybar was such an incredible blessing and opened so many doors and so many opportunities. I mean, sitting here with you, people that have sought me out, opportunities that I've been able to get because of Drybar, I will always be the Drybar founder and nobody can take that from me. And that will always open doors and always like people want to hear about that experience. While I've had moments of like frustration and anger and like not exactly things going down the way I want to. And then, you know, without getting into the whole story, the pandemic and how that really crushed our, our stores and salons. And that was like, Ooh, you know, so rough not to mention like how, like we had 4,000 stylists and like how we couldn't really preserve their jobs. And there was a lot that happened that is like, Oh, that is not how I saw it going down. But Again, you know, I, and probably one of the things I learned during like the depression spiral was like gratitude, 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 yeah. you know, just be grateful. And I have so much to be grateful for. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get into it, but part of the depression too was like my son, who's now 17, he was like, he was like going off the rails. He was for, he was like 12 or 13 when we got divorced and he like spiraled and started doing drugs and ended up in rehab. And so it was like, oh my God, in the midst of the divorce, then this was happening. And so like, it was like, just became about like saving Grant and getting him and which actually ultimately would, would cause me and my ex-husband to like come back together to be like, to deal and help our son. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise in that way. But yeah, I mean, like shit got rough. And the fact that like we're where we are now and like I'm happier than I've ever been. And, you know, I think that that period in my life, my brother jokes that it's like, you know, I'm Ali 2.0 now. Cause I was like very, you know, just this like harder version of myself. And I softened out a lot with all of the things that happened in that, you know, that like span of two years. And, you know, on the other end of it, I'm just grateful. And you met your new husband. And I have an amazing new husband. I'm so head over heels in love and, you know, so grateful for that. And, you know, so there's, there's definitely nothing to be resentful about. What are you working on right now that you're most excited about? It's like been a bit of a reinvention for me. And like, because my identity is so tied to dry bar, which of course I'm, like I said, so grateful for, but also like, well, now what do I do and who am I? Which has been a big question mark. And while we were still like in the throes of dry bar, my brother really wanted to start working on this massage idea. And we were like, we have no bandwidth. We can't do this. But this woman, Brittany Driscoll, who was running our marketing for many years at Drybar, who's amazing, she came to us and said, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. I've been with you guys for so long and I think I want like my new challenge. And we're like, well, we're, we've, been, we've been noodling on this idea for this massage concept because, you know, rightfully so, we just felt like it's so similar to Drybar. You know, massages are like this thing that you either overpay at a, at a spa or you go to like the discount chain and the experience is bad. Mm-hmm. And those are the exact same, you know, scenarios of why dry bar worked. And so we basically got like the crew back together, our same architect, Cam. And even though we were, you know, separated at that point, Cam did all the creative. And then Brittany is the CEO. And Michael and I, I mean, when Michael first came to me with this, I was like, 
I don't have it in me to like build a business <laughs> like we did dry bar because, you know, it was a lot. And, and he was like, no, me either. But Brittany does, you know, and she's, it was a first time entrepreneur and she has just done such a beautiful job. And so in a nutshell, it is a brick and mortar. We call it like just a way better massage experience. And kind of the differentiator of Squeeze is that you book on the app, you tip on the app. So like Uber, Postmates, like everything is done on the app in like the privacy of your phone before you even walk in the door. You walk in, they have all your preferences from like all the like oil or lotion and the music type and the, you know, the pressure and all these things. And the app is, is, I mean, we, we spent like over a year working on the app. It's highly intuitive and amazing. And then you walk in, you get your massage, your therapist knows all your preferences. And there's a lot of like special little things. You should go before I'm gonna you go. leave town. I'll go. I'll, I'll give you my code. You should go a in. discount code? Yeah, it's a, a free one. <gasps> wow. I know. You know I like that. I know. Yeah, no, you, we got you. You guys both should go and make a date out of it. It's in Studio City right now, um, but we're, we, well, what's been really amazing is we opened right before the pandemic and it was like, unbelievably successful. Like if you look on Yelp, all five-star reviews, I mean, Brittany has just done an amazing job. And we, our plan was to completely franchise it, which wasn't what we did with Drybar, but we learned so much, you know, through Drybar that franchisees, like they have skin in the game, like they're in it. So, you know, we decided to do it completely franchise. And it was really fun to watch Brittany, like, be, become a first-time entrepreneur. So we kind of like held on for dear life during um, the pandemic. And now we we're up and running again and we've sold 50 franchises in like the last six months around the country. Wow. So it's, you know, it's about, like, none of them are open yet. <laughs> I don't know. By the time this airs, maybe some of them will be, but there's just been so much interest because the, the experience is seamless. It's yeah. really, and the, you know, we, we've, we've done a lot to like treat our therapists much better than any other place that they've worked. And it's, I'm really proud of it. And I really think that like, and it's something that men and women can do, which, you know, usually I only cater to women. <laughs> <laughs> can you dig in quickly to the economics of the franchise model? How does that work for the people who buy into it? So basically like, I don't know if I can say legally what it costs because there's like FDD no stuff problem. like that. We can make up. Yeah, but but I can also get back to you if you want to fill it in. I, I can ask Brittany. Um, but there, you know, it costs a certain amount of money to build the shops, and that's on them. And then they pay us a certain royalty, you know, to continue to 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 run and operate them. So I don't know if that answers, but that's yeah. yeah. I mean, that's basically how it works. Is like it costs them however much money it costs them to build it, which is somewhere around seven or eight hundred thousand to open a store. And then there's like a royalty fee that they pay to us, mm -hmm. you know, every month as well. So that's kind of you know how it works. That's a very good business model. Yeah, it's great. And for you know a budding entrepreneur, it is great because it's like we've done so much of the heavy lifting. You get to just you know come in and be a part of this and like be trained on it and not have to do so much of the upfront that we've done. So yeah. it's awesome. It's great for like somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur and we're selling locations for whoever's listening. <laughs> and you're also working on Canopy yes. too. Yes. So Canopy happened because I was kind of like starting, you know, just, I just like can't stay still. And I was thinking like, maybe I should build another product line, especially after all that went down with Drybar. And so I got connected to the CEO of Canopy and co-founder and uh, because he had another company that does some product development. And I thought, you know, I would talk to him about that, but it turned out he was like, 
we realized it wasn't a fit, but he's like, but we have this company also called Canopy. It's humidifiers. And I was like, why would I be interested in a humidifier? And then he explained to me that, you know, it's actually this amazing beauty hack that they figured out because one of the other founders, girlfriend was using like one of those ugly blue humidifiers that gets very moldy unless you clean it religiously. And she was using it. They live in New York city because she had it next to her bed because it would help her skin and her skin would be so much more hydrated and look much better. Makeup went on better. Skincare went on better. It's better for her scalp and her hair. And I was like, what? You know, realizing that this is like the ultimate beauty hack. Why don't I know about this thing? And I felt this kind of pull to like help them spread the word and like that every woman should have a canopy next to their bed when they sleep, especially as you're aging and wrinkles and all of those things, they become more pronounced if your skin is dry, you know? And so it's, it's an interesting business because our busy season, we're just rolling into it now you know, September, October, and then through like the winter months when it's so obvious you need a humidifier Mm -hmm. because it's dry out. But I'm, you know, I feel very strongly like if you have an air conditioner running that is sucking out tons of moisture of your skin, especially when you sleep, we lose so much moisture when we sleep. So, you know, I think it was like a combination of like thinking like, wow, I really need this. And then I started using it and really noticed a difference to like, why aren't more women aware of this? You know, and it, yeah. like, as you saw, it looks really cool. And it's just, you know, it doesn't get moldy. It has a lot of like technology that most humidifiers don't have. So there's no like chimney of water that's coming out. It's You'll see when you turn it on, you barely even know it's there. And there's a lot of really cool components to it. I'm so, so excited. Yeah. My sister introduced me initially. My sister basically like is really into skincare and everything. Yeah. And she introduces me to everything. So dry shampoo. Yeah. She introduced me to humidifiers. She introduced me to. Yeah. So she's on top she of it. She knows. Yeah. I'm very low maintenance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's I, the thing about the canopy that's so great. It's like you don't have to do much, but it will. You'll see a difference. Yeah. It's, I'm excited. It's exciting. This was so much fun. I'm a huge fan of everything you've done, and now having been able to sit down with you for an hour, an hour and a half, it's, I'm really grateful that you got to do this. And I'm so glad that even with all of the success, you're so humble and you're so relatable. And you're also open to talking about the ups and the downs, which I think is so rare. So I want to thank you. I have a final closing question that I ask. So the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is about Allie Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, Allie Taught Me This? that anybody can do anything. You know, I think we put a lot of limits on ourselves and what we think we can do and what we're capable of and what's possible, but I don't really think there are any limits. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'll leave the link for you to follow Allie on Instagram in the show notes. And I have a huge favor to ask. Whether it's your first time listening to the podcast or you've been tuning in for weeks with me, it would mean a lot to me if you could take a quick moment to leave a review of the podcast wherever you're listening to it. It just helps other people find the podcast and even a sentence is perfect. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me today. And I'm so excited to talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me. See you there.